You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast with your host, Adam Keith and Matt Ty. Woo! It's going to be a good week this week. We've had a long day. We've been working the property and actually swung by and finished up some work on the family farm and the home base, and we're trying to get back into the podcast world. But I, This is eight, eighth take, ninth take. <laughs> I'm least. trying to just get the intro done, so this is going to be entertaining. We haven't even made it 15 seconds into this thing, and we've yeah. screwed up eight or nine times. So here we are, back into the consulting world, and we've decided that we're going to start diving in and really... I guess dissecting each property that we tour um, and talk about some of the tips and tricks we're using to improve that property, some of the habitat plans to increase the hunting and the overall habitat and wildlife uh, populations in that area, but also just talk about some of the, if you will, the problems that are facing each property and how we're going to attack those and fix the problem. So Matt, I'll let you go ahead and take off. Yeah, absolutely. Before before we dive all the way in, I really want to address and, and let everyone know to really understand and grasp the full knowledge of what we're talking about today. Log on to Facebook and check out our post from June nobody, 16th. Nobody logs on anymore. We're always logged on to Facebook. Oh, hit your little apps there and check out the Land and Legacy post from June 16th because what we're going to be doing is putting up a blank aerial photo of the property we're talking about a 40 acre property in south central missouri and then right next to that to i guess for comparison to understand exactly what we're talking about what we prescribe for this landowner is going to be our edited um, map of the property the recommendations that we've made for this property and we're going to dive in and talk about each one of those today on the podcast but we want to give you kind of a blank slate and then a finished product and then give you the visual to see exactly why we've prescribed things, why we've laid them out, and why there's trails here and not trails there and access points. And that way, you guys can learn and follow along and, and understand the problems that you know this property may have and the things that need to be addressed and the ways to work around them. So I think it's going to be a really hands-on podcast, if that even makes sense. But we're trying and, and teach and show a different way of... Um, you know, learning about how to manage different properties and different things that um, people are facing. You might be facing the same thing on your property. So it'll be a good learning experience. So get on Facebook, check it out. Let's go ahead and just dive on in. Adam. Okay, so I'll give a little bit of background on the property. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, so it's 40 acres. We've got a 40-acre piece. It's got a gravel road on two sides of it, on the west side and the north side. 
landowner and his wife actually live on the property. They have an acre and a half yard on the north central piece of the property. And then there's 26 acres of timber, not very valuable timber. There's also 4.3 acres of food plots. So when you look at the whole ratio of timber to to food plots to open ground, uh, food plots ranks way down on the list of on acreage. So 40 acres total, and that's what makes this piece so exciting because even though it is just 40 acres, there's a lot that can be done. And given the location that it's in, now we're talking south central Missouri, this is pasture country, cattle country, fescue fields, miles and miles and miles around here, and basically closed canopy forest. So this guy's property right now isn't isn't very different from the rest of the acres all in surrounding the I guess surrounding his property in the entire neighborhood. So it really offers nothing more than any other property in the neighborhood, but that's all about to change. I agree. This is going to be um, a really a nice little 40-acre track to be able to hunt in. And just because of the access, we're going to dive into that a little bit later, but the access is going to allow you know you to get and hunt the whole entire property on really any different wind, which is just so exciting because not every property offers that from the start. But this one does, and that's really going to help us to um, lay out the property in a fashion that's going to really allow um, the landowner and his wife to be able to hunt successfully throughout the year. They've got other properties that they can hunt, but this one is obviously so close to home. So if they've got you know, that's two what, hours That's to what go, I love about this property yeah. is it's like you get off that's work back and, door. and it's too late to go to your main farm. But uh, and, and as we told them, told them this on the trip that, man, I am really struggling today. Um I must I, spit I need it out, to lay Julio. off that ice cream beforehand. My tongue's throat then I guess. But uh, you had ice cream? No, I didn't. Uh-huh. I, I'm just going to blame didn't it share. on that. So 40 acres, but all the work that they're going to be doing that we've laid out, and they're going to be improving the habitat. There's going to be more and more deer calling this little piece home mm-hmm. and spending a lot of time here. So even though it's 40 acres that they live on, this might turn into their favorite piece. That's what I'm waiting here. Uh, Two yeah. years from now, they've laid out everything. They're like, my goodness, there's all kinds of great deer on this place. I don't even want to go to our other farms now. That's what I want to hear. But yeah. so it's it's one of those places that, for me, I grew up in town. It, even though it is a small town, I went to school about you can spit from one side to the other. Yeah, fifteen minutes from the farm, so it wasn't really that bad. But this is what's great: is living on the property. They can get home and just jump in their camouflage and boom, out the door they go. Mm-hmm. That's what's so cool about this place. So forty acres and. It's just going to be really cool to watch it transition. Yeah, and can right now, let's just go ahead and talk about the, the timber. You know, 26 acres well, of timber. Just explaining why we're, once again, talking about timber first. Mm-hmm. is because it's 26 acres of the 40. Right. So that's the biggest improvement that they can make is start managing that timber. And that's really going to change the whole dynamic of this property. Especially because right now... You know, you look around the timber, and there was doubles and triples, a lot of black oaks, I mean, blackjack trees. So not much timber value, a lot of young stuff. There were some white oaks. I can count on there one was, hand, yeah, I think, a few, how many white oaks. That, that would have produced acorns, you know, in this, this year, conditions right. Mm-hmm. And then some walnut trees, so some value in the timber. Walnuts, not right now. Correct. Maybe 10, 15 years from now. So we're kind of marking those out, leaving those, taking the taking the good ones and leaving them there and cutting out the competition around it. So those, those, I guess, great genetic species of the, of the walnuts or those walnuts that are showing the, 
Best that, potential. The most potential in long. Thank you. My goodness. I need to I need some coffee or something. I'm worn out or something. But the 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 great looking walnuts, we're gonna cut out the competition competition so they can <laughs> holy cow. We're gonna cut out the competition so that they can express more and grow a lot faster. Yes. And then there's actually a couple hidden gems of the Ozarks in in the, the 40 acres, there's three shortleaf pines that we saw, and we're actually going to be doing a lot of the same things right around there because they're kind of getting choked out with some of the, the younger oaks that are not going to be Those productive. And the, and the blackjacks. They're really just choking them out, and you can see the limbs are just not nearly as productive as they were. So really cut those out, let those breathe a little bit, produce some more um, pine cone seeds, and hopefully those are going to reseed um, as we're doing prescribed fire in and this that's area. What's- that they're going to be in that's kind of our native habitat that's yes. why we're so excited about that i'm just going to stick to one sentence one sentence tidbits in the middle of this podcast you just go i clearly can't do more than that today mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yep yep mm-hmm. sure so timber amen <laughs> to establish especially on a, on a smaller track you know and you want to hunt it successfully you got to have security so on this track we're going to be prescribing two one or so acre clear cuts and this is all just chainsaw work this is not big equipment this is a landowner going out in his afternoons i don't know if you're getting there but then then the one half acre clear cut yes and going in and and we start we're saying clear cut and it's going to the areas that have really low value timber um that are really thick that aren't really going to come ever produce anything productive so we're going in prescribing them on um there's two of them are on on ridge tops and kind of on ridge tops small ridge tops so small. trying to really yes, paint not that a picture big. so it's going to kind of wrap over to the south side of the ridge and also on the north side of the ridge so during the summer months they can still bed on the north side in the cool shade area and then on the in the winter they can bed on the south side so that's mm-hmm. kind of the, the design of those clear cuts now, if you really want to hear more about these, you can go back three podcasts to when we yeah. had Matt Ross from QDMA, and he really talked about this as well. Mm-hmm. So, Matt, mm-hmm. I'll let you go back in. So, we've got like the one acre clear cuts, and and around within that clear cut, you've got some basically edge feathering in and around that that basically the buffer area around that dense pocket of just clear cut because what the the goal is is to have a designated bedding area you want the the new edge created within this forest to be very attractive and have the um, grasses coming back brambles coming back we want some more um, seedlings coming back from from newly regenerated um, white oaks and and red oaks and they're going to be budding and having food and this, is, and this is just and this is a bedding area that he can create even before this deer season yeah that's the great thing he he actually he um messaged me on our way back. It was like, I'm going to get the uh, chainsaw fired up actually probably within the next couple of days. So he's very eager to do this. But placing them, and let's Adam, talk about the actual placement of them. And if you're looking on that map, if you're looking to the very southwest corner, you go up the property line to the east about midway through the, the block of timber, and then head north, you can very faintly see a road system through there and this is a from the previous lander that actually some cut some wood in there and did his 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 odd jobs but that road system joke just north of that and that's another little flat on top of there and and you can just imagine right there in the kind of the center southern portion of that wood block 
is going to be a one acre clear cut. And you'll, or less. It's just kind of it's half acre yes. to it's basically just depends on on the landscape and what what all I guess as he's cutting and how big it's going to be. But the benefit, and how much time allows as well for him. Yes, he absolutely. works a, a forty hour plus week. Um, so this is going to be on his spare time um, going out and doing it. So we say one, one man acre, crew. one man crew. Yeah, um, and and we'll, we're going to touch on okay why exactly that that is going to be placed right there as we dive more into the into the podcast and laying out the property. So the next one move north of that you can kind of see there's a there's a couple um little grove of cedar trees within the timber go north of that in between um those two sections of cedar and there could be another one placed right there there's another ridge top that runs through there and poor timber put another one right there so there's two adam the third is going to be located in the very southeast corner that's going to be kind of our – these are going to be our sanctuaries. But that, the reason we're going southeast corner is there's never going to be any intrusion. There shouldn't be any other than a, uh, some prescribed fire. That's about – and shed hunting. But other than that, they're going to stay out of there. And we're going to lay out a food plot in that same area that's really going to be kind of your early season deer bedded here. And they don't have to walk far to get to a food source before dark. Yes. So that's going to be the huge benefit with that with that little clear-cut bedding area. So that's – extreme southeast corner there's gonna be one place right there you can almost see that little lobe of the um the timber block right there it's gonna be placed right there and um close proximity to food so that's gonna be the the physical attributes of the property that's gonna be like the short-term changes that's gonna happen quickly now he's gonna do some hack and squirt throughout the rest of the property in the years to come to really open that canopy back up and overall through the hack and squirt and the clear cuts, that's how he's really going to, I guess, drastically improve the timber. Yes. And he's when he's doing the hack and squirt, he's going to be targeting those doubles and triple um, stump sprouts from many, many years ago that aren't going to be productive. He's targeting those and leaving the, um, the well-shaped, single-stemmed trees. And basically, all the nutrients in the area is going to be going to those trees so they can be productive um, later on, whether that's acorns, hard mast, or timber value. So They're going to be productive. And the early success, early succession underneath and near that tree is what's really going to be yes. productive. So we've got a productive tree that will provide income and value in the future, and also early succession around that area that's going to be providing benefit to the wildlife within the next year, basically. Absolutely. And that's the other part is mm-hmm. the vegetation that's going to start coming just by cutting, by opening that canopy, and by doing the haggis squirt, you're going to have an explosion of, of vegetation. But we mentioned earlier, there is a, a very nice road system, even for just this small 40-acre track, that cuts through and winds through uh, the rest of the 26 acres of timber. And you can kind of see them. They're very faint on the map. But trust us, they're, they're honestly all the way through there. And the benefit of that is when the landowner uses prescribed fire he's got fire breaks he's got gravel roads as fire breaks um, he's got field edges as fire breaks it's gonna be a very safe and easily maintained fire and he's actually very excited about using prescribed fire in the timber knows the value of it has done a lot of research but just didn't quite know how to implement it and so by addressing the timber opening up the canopy and then following up that with prescribed fire he's going to be able to see the real true benefit of what the forest is going to do and how the wildlife is going to react to it. And I think that's going to be a big eye opener for him 
and 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 honestly for the the, the neighborhood because that's going to be years ahead of the rest of the timber um, in the surrounding area. So it's going to be like a little diamond in the rough. And the deer and other wildlife are going to know it. And yes, it will, they will take them long to find it. They're going to use it. Absolutely. And that's the great thing is, you know, let's just say he doesn't get these all all of his cutting with the chainsaw done before deer season. Mm-hmm. Let's just say that he's cut a couple of these. He's cut one and maybe half of the other one. Deer are now starting to associate this. I've done this on my farm before um, during the winter when during the late bow season, it's January and some trees have already started forming some very, very small buds. And we've cut those trees. Just really just doing TSI, but just you've doing learned TSI. a lot. Through First this. time we were just like, we need, we are infested with dogwoods. Mm-hmm. And, and by infested, I mean, almost you were in a tree and you couldn't hardly see the understory. There were so many. So we were like, let's just pick out the worst looking ones and we'll leave the best and the healthiest looking ones. And we'll just start cutting every other, like every third dogwood. As we started doing that, we noticed we'd come in and we did this a lot in the snow and we would cut and the next day we'd come back and there'd be deer tracks everywhere. Mm-hmm. And we'd be like, did you, did, were these deer tracks here yesterday? No, I don't think so. Maybe they were. Maybe we just missed them. Then we started cutting some more and we noticed that deer were so conditioned to hearing that chainsaw and knowing that it was dropping a food source basically the next day they would come in or that night they would come in and start feeding on the trees that we were dropping on those buds. same thing can happen mm-hmm. on this guy's property yeah he can cut and maybe he doesn't get all the way done next winter he comes in he starts cutting some more and it won't take the deer very long to figure out that that's a food source so they're, they're going to so, understand what's happening and associate that with food and and as he hunts this property appropriately they're going to associate those areas as secure too because the way the stands are going to be laid out. We're going to go through that later on. He's not going to ever interfere with those. His wind is not going to blow through them. So the center of this property, what was prior, honestly, bad timber, is not going to be productive and safe. And ha- you know, give the deer exactly what they're looking for. It's going um, to provide forage and cover and security, all three things. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Yeah, you can't you can't beat that with a big stick. No. So now we'll talk about diving in and really seeing where these are exactly positioned the reason we positioned them here so when you look at the map you'll see these different places we talked about the one in the southeast corner and how it's closely correlated with the food plot so early season we're hoping that deer are really bedding in there and they don't have far to get to that food plot well the others we're trying to kind of spread the gap we're trying to spread the main food source with the bedding areas and this is causing deer to get on their feet and move throughout the property. And even though it's only 40 acres, we're trying to really increase the move, the daylight movement so the hunters can get in there and harvest. The, and be the bigger gap that you have honestly means more room that you can, you know, this wind might not be, um, you might have a little bit of a southeast, but you need a south. And if you got more room that those deer are traveling, that means more option for you to be able to get in. Um, and, and hunt them effectively. And also you can get in and out without oh, yeah. disturbing them. Yep. If, yep. if a deer is bedding, think of a huge crop field, and there's one little island, and that's the only place to hunt, but that's also where the deer are bedding. You get out there to your stand and climb up, you bust a lot of deer just trying it. Same thing is true when you have deer bedding so close to a food source. In, in timber country, if you have deer bedding right next to the food plot, you're going to bump them trying to go in there. So separating, getting a little distance between your and we say designated bedding area. We know deer are going to bed throughout the throughout the timber, but we're really 
improving the habitat around these clear cuts to making it where that is the preferred preferred yeah, bedding area. Woo! I'm ready for this one to be over already. I'm <laughs> struggling. But yeah, absolutely. Like you said, that is the preferred bedding area. And because it's not being interfered with by default and by selectivity and by placement where the sun is going to be out during the wintertime, that is where they're going to prefer and you can expect them to be bedding. So you know, in a general idea, they're coming from that direction. I can get to this stand because I've got this. I've got 200 yards instead of 50 yards that these deer are going to get up on their feet and move to that food source. So even though it's 40 acres, they're still keeping that mindset of I want the deer to travel to a destination food plot. Yes, and one other thing that we're going to add to that to increase the habitat that much more and make this property more secure and provide more cover for the wildlife is we're going to do some edge feathering along these field edges to increase the, as we always say it, I think, shoot, I'm not even sure the first time I ever heard this term, but I might have been in fifth grade. Creatures of the edge, creatures Mm -hmm. of the edge, creatures of the edge. That's what we always talk about. So this is one way to really improve that. And Matt, while we were on my farm today, you brought up something that I think is a great point to address and, and yeah. talk about is because not only is it a benefit to the wildlife, but it can also be a big benefit to the food plot. No doubt, no doubt. Today we were walking, and of course we've planted three or four weeks ago um, the food plots on, on Adam's place. And as we're walking and moving around the edge of the food plot, you know, we've got larger oaks on the edge, and it just became to be really clear that how much nutrients those trees are sucking and pulling in, and you see it very visibly, especially in a, in a food plot that's in progress of growing, just how much nutrients they're taking away, moisture, because those, you know you planted it, you didn't miss that spot, yet the forage and vegetation is very stunted almost. And so you're not getting the benefit, even though that's an opening and you planted it, that the rest of the food plot is getting because of the massive tree that's that's sucking in the nutrients. So if you begin to start edge feathering and taking out some of those trees and taking out the competition right along the edge of the food plot, not only are you creating the edge, but you're also benefiting the food plot by removing the massive root system, the competition that's right there on the edge of your food plot. So it's kind of a two for one. And that was just, that came really clear. There's a couple spots that we walked past and was like, you know what? And that we've tree always, needs to go. <laughs> this this is what's so great to me, I think, is in, when we talk about the home property, and is due to lack of time, lack of resources, and just overall <laughs> lack of help. Um, now that we kind of all, my brother used to work it when I was too busy. I used to work it when he was too busy, and now you're involved too. Mm-hmm. So we can all three dive in together and, and work the property. Is we're kind of at the early stage, even on our home properties. We've killed some great deer there. We've killed a lot of turkeys there, but we haven't really full-fledged managed it. And I think that's something that, you know, we've talked about edge feathering, but we haven't ever had time to really do it because we've been fighting other species, invasive species and doing other things. But that's one thing we're going to get to really do and and, tran- and see the transformation that is just all sorts of exciting. But And so, I, will, I will throw this in real quick. If that interests you and you have, you know, those areas where you're, oh, my gosh, yeah, that tree is <laughs> – it's a hickory and it doesn't produce anything for wildlife and it's how many times stealing my food plot not only on the edge but how many times do you also see trees out in the middle of food plots oh it's all the time a bunch yeah and it's one of those things that you can see it on the edge of the you can see it on the edge of the food plot from 
trees that are growing just on that edge taking away the nutrients but really look at the trees in the middle of the fields those are the ones that really just i scratched my head on those as a tractor driver it drives (laughs) you nuts and if especially if you're trying to run a a herbicide boom sprayer around Mm -hmm. it and you just hook that tree all the time and it's scarred up anyway because you bumped it so many times it's never going to amount to anything (laughs) but yet we still leave it so that's one of those things if you're if it really provides no benefit it's probably time to go Time, time, time to remove the yes. Just and you know what? If it it's go. a great, if it's a oak tree, you know and what? And it produces acorns. Keep it by all means. If it's going to be if, a good, if you want, or just it. cut it down and make a great mantle out of it, <laughs> or maybe a bunch of shotgun stalks or something. But try to find the best benefit of that tree. So. <laughs> yeah, but if you're interested in the edge feathering, it's like you know, you see that being a benefit on your property. Um, look into your government programs for your state. I. I I've seen it done in Maryland and Virginia and gotten reimbursed for that. Here in Missouri, you can do the same thing. So before you go in and start cutting and doing it, you know, if you've already set your property up through the government programs, be sure you enroll in that program because you can get paid for the work um, and improving the property. So it's it's very easy to do, and um, it's extremely beneficial. So in talking about the food plots, Adam, why don't you first talk about the destination plot that – Honestly, the landowner has already established, which we're glad he did, and he did it. He picked a great location on the farm for it to happen. Um, so, why don't you highlight that on the map? Um, talk about basically its location and what he what his overall plan is for that. Yes, sir. So, thank you. The destination food plot. That's probably the only time I've ever said that to you, but uh, uh, and it probably will be the last. I doubt it. Um, when we're talking about the big destination food plot, we're talking in the east-central portion of the... So it's on the very eastern edge, but kind of centrally located north to south. And it is a little just under acre and a half. So that's about his biggest food plot he has on this place. And it is going to be... Right now it's planted in a... It's got a mix of sun hemp, soybeans. I think I saw some cow peas in there. Uh, maybe some lab lab. Some different things. And then he's also got just straight soybeans in another portion. But the thing, one tweak that we needed to make on this property or on, on this food plot specifically is that he had almost the entire thing fenced off. There was a little sliver that he didn't fence off, but it was in the kind of the northern portion the of the very that. northern, yeah. yeah. And so it was in an area that the deer really aren't going to. Up closer to the house, right along that, that kind of wooded fence row that you can see. Yeah, and, and the landowner does have dogs. Mm-hmm. Three dogs. Yes. Very ornery dogs, I will add. <laughs> and, uh, but they are, they are, um, they're within electric a fence. fence. Yeah, inside Under, of one of the underground fences. Yeah. But Anyhow. The, the chances of a deer really coming into that part of the farm aren't going to happen very much at all, and it's probably going to be after dark. We decided that to really – so this is the first year this food plot's ever been planted – so deer really aren't conditioned to knowing that's a food, a food source. source. It, it was just a pasture, fescue. And we're going to touch on the old field management here in a little bit. Yeah. But that food plot was almost entirely surrounded by electric fence, three-strand electric fence. And what we prescribed is opening up, shortening that fence up, make it a little smaller, and open up that south end to where the deer can start feeding there, knowing that's a, that that area is a food source, and... So they'll get conditioned to already this summer start making that trip from the timber to the food source and back and forth. And that's the natural pattern that we want the deer to use throughout the year is going from his clear cuts, his timber, out into these food plots and back. And when they're doing that, that makes them the most susceptible to 
successful hunters. Basically, this is this is if if the deer don't follow this pattern, that's kind of the kink in the armor. They're going to do it, but we just need to get them on a conditioned pattern and by actually removing and shortening some of the fence we're educating the deer saying this is a food source time to come time to make this transition and start moving across the property and basically if if that hadn't happened and those deer weren't conditioned to coming there he would have had a probably a great stand of beans and he would open up the fence and then they would have been 15th when missouri bow season opened up and and they wouldn't have known what to do it would have taken a couple of months for him to figure it out certainly certainly some time and then you're sitting there scratching your head saying oh man i should have done this should have done that so go ahead and if you're got the same situation and what we're going to do is 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 open it from the very southern end of that food plot which is closest to the bedding area Mm -hmm. start working north and it's just little by little if you ever if you've seen um basically intensive grazing and, and paddocks for cattle it'd be almost the same situation you give them a little bit more and you start giving them a little bit more. And when they browse that down, you start giving them a little bit more. And basically, by the time season rolls around, those deer are going to know it's a food source. going to be coming there on a routine basis. And then that's when the magic happens. And you open up that very southwest corner and allow those deer to come in. And <clears throat> he's actually got a large oak tree. If you go to the pond right there by that food plot, that fence, we anticipate him opening up about to the north edge of that, that pond and then sits right to the north and to the east, right on the property line, is a big oak tree that he can hide and get to from the the gravel road right down his line. Um, he's already actually already contacted his neighbor about it and knows he can access it, has permission to do so, get to that oak tree, and those deer will be piling through this fence that he's created because they've it's a learned it's a learned what am I trying to say here? Behavior. There we go. It's a learned yeah. behavior that this is a food source, and then by the time that fence opens all the way up, it's he's gonna have a hard time keeping deer out of it, and um, he just has to wait on a west wind, and he's golden. Pretty much anything west, that's anything south, awesome. north, southwest, southwest, southwest yeah. straight west. He's blowing all across his neighbor's pasture, and that's it. And he's getting in from that direction, not bumping deer, and can get out. Oh, it's gonna be good. Yeah, it's gonna be real good. I'm waiting on an invite. Uh, inviting the the harvest picture too yeah awesome another thing that uh, so that's one food plot that's our destination food plot. that's the largest food plot yeah Yeah. there is another one that's uh a little bit smaller than that Mm -hmm. it's about an acre and a third and it's on the north part but that is where that's where i loved it when he said this there yeah there was uh that he had been hearing some quail yeah, seeing a few quail up along the road that north that north side along that gravel road along the fence line That they've seen a few, and he was trying to think of things he could do to help the quail out. So we prescribed planting a, a kind of a mix for, for quail and other birds, even some doves. And ironically, that's where a power line or telephone wire runs yep. through there. So it's just a naturally awesome dove field, but it's also going to be great benefit to the deer and also uh, the quail. Yeah. So basically, he thought, okay, that's just going to be my dove plot. But we didn't want to interfere with him dove hunting there. Let's plant a summertime mix that is going to be um heavy on the the base of the millet the milo, sunflower milo sunflower. great seed heads that'll produce um a lot of food for doves you've got the power line there's actually a pond right by it too so that's gonna be a killer dove field but then let's not stop there 
let's right when dove season is done let's make that a green field let's do some wheat rye um hairy vetch winter peas rape turnip brassicas everything let's just make that another great food plot and more that's basically another another location more food to pull deer to and another location to hunt on a different wind um so you've got the big destination on the the eastern side eastern side and now you've got one on the north side but there's another key thing to this one and that is screening this plot and you can tell that there's the gravel road right there but it's the hard way to tell. The terrain sets is the gravel road actually sits down a little bit a little bit uh, of a bank like a little yep. bit of a bank right there so if he plants anything that's got any kind of height to it it's going to screen that gravel road and there's already some timber there but he's also going to let another 20-yard strip grow up in kind of old field management. We're going to spray off any fescue that's there and let some uh, native grasses hopefully come up. And, and he, actually, he had eastern gamma grass right there in the vicinity. So that was already coming up naturally, and that's likely going to fill in and um, recolonize that area. And this is going to be screening that gravel road, providing a food source, destination food source on the north side. Now we've got a destination food source on the eastern side and all our bedding is on the west and southern side so it's oh. setting up great and we're not even halfway through this no. property and and that's the awesome part so we've got that screen and he doesn't have to worry about the passerby come and he one thing i got to applaud him on is he did research on this place um, him and his wife had been looking for property and um he was fortunate enough to know people in the area and he's he's a deer hunter he wanted it for um, he didn't know people enjoyed. in the area, though. He just went and f- talked to neighbors in the that, area. No, that is right, because he's from north of here, north and west of here. Yes. So he talked to people. He knocked on doors or called, whatever it was. He he, he did found his homework. hunters in the neighborhood. Yes. Talked with them. And, um, you know, what's the threat of poaching? What, you know, what's the deer density like? How are people hunting it? Blah, blah, blah. But now, he, with that knowledge, he's able to put a food plot closer to a road closer to um a property line and screen it appropriately and feels comfortable doing so and there's certain areas and farms that we've been on that we'd say no no heck no sorry it's an opening and sure we'd like it to be food but really it's just got to be old field management and we're still going to screen it because i don't want the threat you can, you can make an honest man a poacher real quick by putting a big buck out in front of you right you right so he did his homework and he talked to people, and he feels comfortable and gave us the knowledge to be able to say, okay, you know what? You've done your homework. Let's do it. You feel confident? Um, and actually, Adam's kind of familiar with this area too, so that helped out. But we're going to go ahead and put a food plot. Even though it's close to a road and close to the proper line, there's going to be a food plot. It's going to be screened. And the way the terrain works. Screened um, from two sides. From Actually, the, from the gravel road and his driveway. That's that close to his house. That that I mean, a uh, hundred yards, maybe, maybe yeah. if that, maybe. So, and you know, there's the visual from the dogs and driving in and out in the mornings and the evenings. Um, that screen. So imagine a screen parallel with that gravel road, and then one that drops and heads southeast along the driveway, um, just to square it off and make it a very safe, secure food plot for deer to feed in and for him to shoot doves in and hunt later on in the season it's gonna be good yeah it'll be awesome to watch and uh, and hear how it turns out mm-hmm. you know you think about going back let's connect that food source 
with the bedding area just south of there. Yes. Now you start thinking about how can we hunt this. Of course, in the mornings, typically you're not hunting a food source. You're going to hunt deer coming from a food source. So if deer are in that um, destination food plot in the northwest portion and they're going down to the bedding area just south of there, a great place to be. And In fact, a place that we've laid out for him is in between the two. So in the mornings, he can leave his house, drive around and park along the gravel road, slip up those woods and be right in between where the deer are during while it's still dark. As the sun starts coming up and deer are headed back to bedding, he can be right there cutting them off. So that's kind of the magic with that with yes. that north side. Yep. Now, yeah. if we want to talk about, I guess, while I'm thinking of it, while we're mm-hmm. on that portion of the map, let's go just south of that, that northern bedding area that we just talked about. And there's going to be a stand in between that bedding area and the other big bedding area. And that is what we've called a rut stand, a pre-rut stand. Um, when bucks are cruising back and forth looking for receptive does during that time of the year, late October and November, and they're cruising around trying to find those receptive does, that's where you want to be. I'm very excited about that that stand. It's just it's situated perfect, and he can get to it um, with very little intrusion. That might be and- one you pack a lunch to. Oh, it might be. It might be. If you know what's on and deer could be on their feet, um, certainly. And uh, it's it's situated perfect, and you can get to it in and out very, very easily. Uh, that's enough said on that one. <laughs> and, we'll, again, we'll show you that. Um, refer to the finished map. You'll be able to see the access, and we're talking about parking on that gravel road and slipping in the timber. Uh, it's going to be good. Yeah. It's going to be real good. So, Let's go ahead and finish up these food plots. Yes, yes. Since uh, we've kind of already talked about them. So we've talked about the two destination ones. There's a couple others that are up around the house, actually. One of them's just east of the house. It's going to also be your dove and quail um, quail food plot. It's a lot more of these Milo's millets. Um, what else did we say we're going to add to that? Sunflowers. And so, and we'll probably, we, we recommended throwing some, some, some soybeans in there just because it is in pretty good location, possibility of having some deer into it. Um, and that is the no, very northeastern portion of the property. And one thing we're going to do with that is you look around that and the, you actually see what seems like old fence rows. Well, that is in fact what they are. They're old fence rows. But since this landowner is never going to have cows, or he says he's not, um, and it sure didn't I don't sound think like he, he was going to get He's pretty diehard hunter. Yeah. <laughs> so he, we've actually recommended that he takes those fences down. And the reason for that is we're trying to make it the easiest path for the deer to travel. And taking those fences down is now allowing the deer just to walk right in on his property. And there's not the – because deer are lazy like us. I well, mean, if, if I had the choice to, to walk into a field with a fence or without a fence, let's say it's a six-strand, mm-hmm. tall – high tensile barbed wire, I'm going to take the place with no fence. Yes. Deer do that a lot as well. And that's also, I've done this a lot around my farm, is if I have five a five-strand barbed wire fence and I really want to encourage the deer to cross lower right there in front of me, I lower. I just take some wire and I lower that top and I make it just a little bit lower. And just it is crazy. a little bit more. It, it's honestly, it's amazing to me how well they it ought use to be that. against the law. Yeah. It, it's right up there next to baiting. Not <laughs> yeah. quite, but it's, it's <laughs> really cattle, beneficial. On the cattle farm, though, it works. On the cattle farm, it works. <laughs> um, and, and if you take a look, it go right to the house and go just east of that house. That's one of the fence rows we're talking about clearing and, and removing. So if it, if a deer did move from basically the gravel road 
towards that food plot, the destination food plot with the electric fence on it, you know, moving north to south, it, it wouldn't really happen because the way that fence is and the, and the proximity to the house, they'd probably probably go around the house and loop and take the long way. But let's make it a little bit easier and just encourage them that much more to go right to that destination food plot from off the neighbors and cross the distance between the house and the actual eastern border. Just encourage that. There's no there's no reason for it to prohibit deer doing that. Let's actually encourage them to move in that fashion and make the property property that much more usable and deer friendly. Mm-hmm. And there's that was a, that. That was my one word. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. How about the food plot in the in the more southeastern corner? That was and probably that the prettiest, prettiest uh, little location of yes. the whole farm. Oof. It was kind of one of those you drop down. That's actually where Farmer was uh, bush hogging out the roads, mm-hmm. and he jumped a fawn right there. Yep. Um, and that's when he stopped bush hogging that whole opening. But it's like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> right now, yeah, I'm not going to jack with it. But yeah. that little area is, oh, let me see here. I think it's just under half an acre. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like third, just over a third of an acre. And it is... Kind of down a little sway. It's going to be really close to that southeastern bedding area, and it's going to be a dynamite early season and even just a transition it's area. It's going to be a great transition area. Um, Incredible. And and the key to that one is going to be using his neighbor's permission. Again, yeah. To access that. Yeah. Oh, that and one's going to be really good. So really he's good. going to come along the eastern edge of his neighbor's property through his pasture, and he's going to dump in right there in the southeastern portion of his property just to the east of that food plot. And he's coming in right on the very northern end of that little bitty section of woods. So we're making sure, and this is why we said less than a half acre on this clear cut on the very southeastern portion, is we don't want it too close to his... We don't want to risk him as he's getting to that to and from that stand to bump deer in that bedding area. Yes. He needs, he needs a clean entrance and a clean exit. And by keeping it a small clear cut, a, a small bedding area, he's going to basically... Future thoughts be in a lot better shape by not making it big and mm-hmm. taking that entire little wood lot. He's going to he's gonna think ahead of time and, and make it that much more that, If you look and you see that in the very southern southern part, there's a fence row and kind of a little opening. Mm-hmm. And that little area, is, it's got a lot of fescue in it now, but there is some black-eyed Susan and uh, what else did I see out there? Queen Anne's Lace. There's a lot yeah. of little forbs and little wildflowers that are blooming in there right now that if he kills out that fescue, he's going to have a a great bedding area there as well. So he's going to have the woody clear cut in the tim in the timber for a bedding area, but also that open old field management type that's going to provide great forage during the summer. And then as that matures, it's going to be a great bedding area during the during hunting season. So mm-hmm. he's got the best of both worlds right there for bedding, food plot, a high quality food plot, and just the- north of that, and a great access to get in there and exit without alerting the deer. So. That might be my favorite food plot on the whole farm. I think it's my my favorite food plot as well. And again, it's not it's not a big food plot, but it's a perfectly positioned food plot. And you, we're utilizing that opening and its size and shape. If you look the way it pinches down, right where that stand is going to be at, that's a thirty yard shot tops. And just the way that terrain is, it's going to be a dynamite place to plant, easy access, but also it's going to transition and funnel deer when the way those those bedding areas, and hopefully this is kind of coming full circle. You're seeing why the bedding areas were placed the way they were and how they are. Um, it's going to just funnel deer naturally through the kill plot to the large destination area and allow the hunter to access it without bumping them or alerting them. So really that's a picture-perfect 
dynamite situation that you're just using the uniqueness of the property, even though the timber doesn't have much value and it's just a fescue field, you're enhancing it and manipulating it to make it more huntable and encourage deer movement and forage and uh, it's awesome. It's going to be, that, that spot is primo, primo. And it's going to be a great early season, like you said, because the the it's bedding so is close so bedding. close. It's not too close. And it's also going to be one of those enough. areas that it's going to be shaded way earlier than everywhere else on the property. It's be cool. Yeah, It's cool off down there. It's probably a great place for clover, but we're going to we're gonna prescribe to him um, a cool season mix. And the it'll wheat, be the, the first, rye, this will everything. be the first year that it's been planted in uh, who knows how long. Right. Because it's really, really uh, established fescue right mm-hmm. now. Um, Great transition. No, we gotta not, finish these food yet? plots. We gotta <sighs> finish these food plots. <sighs> you dove into the food plots, and we gotta keep <sighs> trudging along through the food plots before we All get right. out of that. Hit so up if another. you look just northeast of that, there's a little bitty opening, and that little bitty opening is gonna be clover. Um, the reason we did that is because it's it's a very shaded area. It's smaller, so it can take a lot of browse pressure being in clover. And it's just uh, the it just gives the landowner the ability to provide a more diverse food source, uh, th- or more diverse food sources throughout the entire property. We talked about cool season blends, and then that little nugget that Matt and I both really like, just southeast the the nice food plot in southeast corner, will be soybeans next year, or some sort of spring mix. But um, just northwest of that is where the clover plot is going to be, and pretty uh, much smack dab in the middle. That's one of those spots. That we we told the landowner that you have a camera on it. You don't ever go check that camera during hunting season unless you have a southwest wind and you can go in the middle of the day. You slip down there, grab the card, and you see, oh my, blackjack or whoever your number one hit list buck has been moving through there in the afternoons, evenings. You say, okay, I'm going there tonight. You may only hunt that spot once or twice during deer season, maybe. But when you go in there, you go in there expecting to tag your hit lister. It's, it's oh. not a, I'm going to go kill a doe here. No. Even if they're using it on a consistent basis, that that area is, you don't have much wiggle room. Basically, if, mm-hmm. if you get the wrong wind, boom, you're educating deer. Or a south-southwest wind. Right. Blowing back towards the house, and that's it. So, so and even then, you want to hunt it with a pretty decent wind. You don't yeah. want to dive in there with a wind that's three mm-hmm. miles an no. hour. You want something eight plus. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we go just just from that little clover plot to just due north, there's another little, I don't know, quarter acre plot that we're going to plant. A little in long a, and narrow. Yep. yep. And that's just a transition plot, trying to catch deer going through there out into the big destination destination field. Um, that one's close to the house, so he's going to be able to slip right down to it with a north, or whoa, about really screwed ooh, that spot ooh. up. With a south wind, southwest wind, he's going to slip right down from his house and be able to hunt that little, that little bitty um kill plot right there which is a great area again we've got the bedding area the centrally located bedding area they're going to work right out of that come across hit that little kill plot move right to the destination again that's another picture perfect just kind of set up that you're not interfering with anything Mm-mm. not at all mm. and so um and then he's got another little food plot just to the uh south i think this is the last one just to the southwest of the house that's kind of another little uh bird Quail, dove, food plot. Yeah, the one you were um, Observation yep. type um, food plot to where it's just trying to feed the feed the birds, have some attraction for the doves and the quail. Uh, probably won't hunt it too much. Um, he will plant it, but I can't imagine that you're going to be using it a lot during daylight. It's just there mainly for the 
for the uh, huntability for dove season and um, to attract more quail. And I think that is unless you've got something else to add. I was, I was just we're talking about touch all the. On. So we've got so we've got standing grain. We've got um, grain for the birds and also the deer. Um, then we're going to have same cool season blends. So brassicas, turnips, or <laughs> turnips, which are brassicas, radishes, um, oats, wheat, cereal rye, cool season mixes. Then we're also going to have some clover. So a big range of, of food that we're going to have in these food plots. Variety. And, and I'm going to touch on that clover real quick because, you know, there's in a lot of a lot of portions of the country, and especially the cooler you go, further north you go here, clover is a huge part of a lot of programs. And, and one of the reasons why, especially in this place, that we're not highlighting clover as much, even though it is very beneficial, very attractive, especially during the early portions of seasons in October, is because of the surrounding area. Like, You've got to take into, especially a smaller 40-acre, there's clover everywhere in all these pastures. So by by adding clover to the farm or a large section devoting it, you're not really diversifying that property that much. So we're going to offer something different that the rest of the area isn't having. Like Adam said, those cool season grasses and, and legumes in the wintertime in those plots. And cool season grains. Just make sure that when you say cool season grasses that they don't say, oh, oh fescue and oh, orchard grass. No. You say cool season grasses, you mean cereal, rye, corn, oats, even yeah. barley, wheat, anything mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. People, I, you know, and I learned this years ago. I said corn in that, and people are like, what? That's what I it's, thought you said. I'm like, surely a, I, grass I'm is not a corn. Crazy. Grass is a corn. Yeah, but it's not a it's Grass not a is cool a corn. Season. Corn is a grass. Golly, I'm turning into you. <laughs> Uh, I'll just ignore that comment. Yeah. I won't take offense to it. So that's pretty much all. That's, you know, you're talking about that clover. That's one mm-hmm. thing why it's hard to, when somebody asks this question, it's always a question that is kind of like, okay, well, how much clover do I need on my property? Oh. It's really hard to prescribe that because we don't know you what's can't. in it. You know, you if, if you say yourself. you should have this many this many acres of clover on each one of your properties, but, given, but then you take into consideration, okay, well, my neighbor, he's a farmer and he's got, 400 acres of alfalfa well that's not really doing you much good to plant clover because there's all the all of that that he needs over there in the form of alfalfa Mm -hmm. and so that's why it's really hard and in this area there's clover everywhere scattered around a pasture so it's really not um by if he planted the entire place in clover it's not like he's going to have this huge attraction versus his neighbor so right that's why we're choosing that right 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 so that pretty well covers all the food plots yeah. now and that's only uh, a little over four acres we covered all that in four acres that took a long time to talk about four <laughs> acres and this is only a 40 acre property yeah very small portion. Yeah. <laughs> so we've talked about the 26 acre sent to uh, 26 acres of timber now this is the fun part this is the part that is really going to transform his place compared to the surrounding neighborhood mm-hmm. and so there's four acres, 26 acres is woods. So now there's another 14 acres that's not woods. Acre and a half is his yard and where his house sits. Then there's a little over four acres that's food plots. The rest is open. And by open, we mean old pasture. It's a lot of fescue, but there was a lot of, I saw Daisy Fleabane everywhere, mm-hmm. Queen Anne's Lace, uh, Black Eyed Susie. Uh, there was Chicory a, and just mixed stuff through there. Yeah. Um, plantain. Yep. So, how can we improve that and not spend a fortune and turn it all into a food plot? 
spray the fescue. That's it. Done. That's it. Game We're going changer. to spray the fescue out, which is a cool season grass mat. Oh, yeah. And we're going to spray that fescue out with the glyphosate. We're going to kill it November, November or March. late February, March, whenever basically fescue is the only green thing. We're going to go and spray it. You know, it's we keep saying we're. Yeah. That's a lot of work. That's him. This is on him. Yeah, this is <laughs> We're just encouraging. <laughs> so when he's listening to this, we know, I, we I don't want, want him to give him clear. the wrong impression yeah. that we're going to come and do it. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to spray that You're fescue and get that taken care of. And then we're going to come back and say, or he's going to come back and take a picture and say, this is what it looks like now. We're going to address the problem or mm-hmm. we're going to go and look at it and say, okay, this is this is what we have in the seed bank. We've killed off the fescue. We've killed off the orchard grass. We've killed off the species that really aren't providing much benefit to the wildlife. And we're going to say, oh, okay, so you have all kinds of native worm season grasses that just all of a sudden appeared. Woo, look at that. That's awesome. We didn't even have to pay for it, plant it. It was just there. All we had to do was kill out the carpet of fescue and orchard grass and let the sun and the moisture and the nutrients just do its thing, and boom, now we have native grasses. That's the ideal world. Now, probably the first year we're going to see a lot of forbs come back. We're going to see a lot of broadleaves. We're going to see a bunch of ragweed. We're going to see a bunch of brambles, too, which and, it, it can be a pain to walk through, but when they're sprouting, they're they very, be, very good food. And they're also great for quail. Yeah. And he's all about trying to increase the habitat for the quail, mm-hmm. and this is going to be one of the fastest and best ways to do it. We're going to turn that fescue rank pasture that he kept bush hogging just to keep clean and... One thing we told him and his wife while they were with us on the tour, we said, okay, the beautiful park setting, the the bush hogged fields, we need to get that out of your mind because that's not what we're going for. And so we're going to do old field management through the rest of the property um, outside of the food plots and the timber, and we're going to have great forage during the summer months. During mm-hmm. the growing season, there's going to be fantastic forage for all wildlife here. And then as that matures during late summer and fall, that's going to turn into bedding and cover. Yep. And they probably won't bed in there because it's right out in the middle of the sun. But they may. I mean, not ideal. It's not ideal. But we're encouraging deer to feel comfortable there. And that's the key. And we're, food in the summertime. It's yeah. amazing. That, that's what I was going to touch it, on real quick. Okay, go ahead. Um, sorry for cutting you off. But, you know, one of the things that's, that stood out to me, and this was just him doing his research again, was the fact that he, when he was talking to his, his neighbors and, and asking them, what are the deer like? Are you seeing many deer? Um, bachelor groups, this and that. And the landowner shared with me, I really don't see in your area right there um, that many bachelor groups of bucks. And, and that's still holding true for the landowner. He's got a couple year and a half old deer that show up on camera occasionally. And um, he's he, he wants to get to a point where he's seeing the bachelor groups and they're using his property. And by doing the old field management, having that much more beneficial food during the summer months and having the high-quality um, soybeans and the other food plots, I'm not going to say it's going to happen in this amount of years, but I guarantee he's going to start seeing transition of bachelor groups in the, the general vicinity starting to select his property and using it um, throughout the year, but the bachelor groups in the summertime for the fact of where else is there that much warm season native forage, forbs, and high quality food plots in his area? There's not. No. So he's going to see that transition. What I experienced on my family farm years ago was we didn't have many bucks there during the summer months. And then as 
those does became receptive during the fall, that's when we started seeing bucks move in. It was we were almost frustrated. Where are the bachelor groups? And then we started doing. We planted food plots for years, but we weren't seeing it. We weren't. See, it was always just does. And then we started doing a bunch of timber stand improvement, a lot of prescribed fire, and it was like snap of your fingers. We started having bachelor groups, and that's how it is today. We have great bachelor groups on certain parts of the farm. And it's, you pulled cameras, hire really, cars a day, and is yeah, impressive. That was another thing that we did today. We mm-hmm. pulled the cards and we checked and we checked cameras, and you know, there's pretty good bucks showing up, and it's <laughs> it's not even out of June yet. And I, so I'm pretty excited about that. But yeah, there was also uh, so a couple of our hit list bucks that made it through last year showed up. Great looking, already showing great signs. There's an interesting deer that we have that has got some issues going on. It's a very large, I don't know if you'd say antlered, but gross. It is an antler, but um, it's not quite three inches tall, which is what is classified to use a buck tag in Missouri. So I don't know. We, we can't really decide. What do you think, Matt? We've looked at this thing. It it's is been a years. You, you, you've monstrous, seen it. It's monstrous. a very large bodied deer. Very yeah. large. It almost the, that's what makes me think it's a buck. Very, um, basically at, a, at its pedicle, it's never really expressed a true um, forming antler. It's been a very, almost marbly look. Um, mm-hmm. Like if you were to melt a spike and it melts like a candle yeah, on you, top of its head, that's what the antlers the microwave look like. for too long. <laughs> yeah. So we, we're not sure, never really actually gotten a great picture from behind looking if it is a buck or, or like a cartoon where it ran into something and it just like kind of smashed it down oh like gosh. a accordion. That's what it could have done. <laughs> yeah. All the At things. Each year it did that. <laughs> but yeah, all the things. It's, it's I, I believe it's probably a buck that's been injured mm-hmm. um, internally and has had issues with testosterone and, and basically... Uh, but it runs with those, so it's it usually runs with a bunch of does, and that's why it looks so big is because it just towers over everything else. It's got a really weird set of antlers, if you can even call that. That deer showed back up um, in this recent card pool. That was interesting to see because every year it's usually a spike. This year it's just kind of a, a ball, half ball on top of its head. <laughs> I, it's very hard to describe, but that's what it well, looks we'll like. We'll put a picture up of it someday here. Yeah. And uh, so that that deer was there. We had a couple of bears, which has kind of been a new thing for us. The last couple of years, we've started seeing a few more bears. But this is the, the time when they start showing up yes. on, on your property. The month of June is always the, the month of in. bears. Mm-hmm. And they just kind of pass through. We don't really get too concerned about they're it. They're not very they're they're transient. Yeah. They're, and you, you saw that through your studies with MDC. Yes. Um, there weren't that many. Just They just hung out in this place i saw uh, that only in places where they were really trying to keep them there mm-hmm. uh, if they weren't baiting for them or trying to trap them and they were just letting them do their thing they just it was just like a a, a, a lonesome traveler right um, a hitchhiker just passing through and we never saw it again and so the couple of bears a couple of great bucks um interesting buck or whatever it is um so it was a good card pull here's the thing that was most frustrating about it you heard us talk about turkey season. I didn't even tell you this beforehand. You didn't. There was make toms money. everywhere. <laughs> really? I don't know where Man. they were during turkey season, but they weren't there. They, they weren't were gobbling. lipped that's so, for sure. Yeah. Um, and that was our latest card pool. But anyhow, I, back to the property. <laughs> we got a little tangent there. But <laughs> I, all in all, I you know, from start to finish, I, ho- I hope you're, you're getting back to the images we shared on Facebook. And you can see blank slate to what we're prescribing and understand through the prescription 
of, of everything, the timber, the food plots, the um, old field management, everything, of why they work and why they work together in those locations and throughout the entire year how deer are going to utilize this 40 acres and then how the landowners are going to be able to hunt it successfully. Um, and, and that's what, that's what we do. And I'm just, I'm, I'm glad that we were able to share that with everyone because the real life visual experience, that's how I learn, you know, and even though this is a podcast, we're able to share the maps and talk about, they, they now location. have the ability to look at a, look at a map. Yeah. Hopefully they're not driving when they're listening to the podcast. <laughs> Gosh, I hope not. Take some time on the computer after the podcast if you are yeah. driving. <laughs> and if you've if you've been listening to this driving and looking at the map, well, we're glad you made it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like to me, this is a classic case of don't give up on a property. It's forty mm-hmm. acres. There's a house on it. You may think, well, there's really not going to be that great. I, I can't do much with forty acres, but you can lay it out right and have some incredible hunting. Yeah, and and I. I think there's only good things to come for um, the landowners, and I, I'm just, you know, they're really big deer hunters, but when they, they could have bought a, ple- a piece that was probably 100 acres and had, you know, put a little house on it or whatever, but, you know, they didn't settle for anything that, you know, I mean, this this fits them perfect. It's a beautiful house, um, and they're not, they don't feel limited by the property, and, and by setting it up it right. It doesn't feel like 40 acres. It doesn't. No, it doesn't. Um, and I think when they hunt it and hunt it in the manner that we've prescribed um, and talk with them today, I don't think they're going to feel like it's 40 acres either. Um, it's going to be really encouraging to get the feedback from them as they implement this plan. And this whole time we've been talking about deer and quail, but let's just add that the landowner was able to harvest turkey off this place mm-hmm. this year too. Yeah. So it does have turkeys on it, and with all this work they're going to be doing, it's, uh, it's be only going to help. The prescribed fire on oh, the rotation yeah. every couple of years. Let's, one thing before we finish up, tools yeah. of the trade. What things are he going to need? Are they going to need for this property? We talked about a bush hog. One thing yep. we told him was don't get too carried away with that bush hog. Yep. Keep bush the trail hog has clean one purpose. For your wife keep, to walk. The, keep the trails clean. Yep. He has a disc. Whoa. <laughs> Easy, Adam. Easy. I just said disc. Yeah. He has a disc for two purposes. Mm-hmm. Disc. For old field management, in case there gets to be too many grasses yep. in that area and we want to stimulate some more forbs, he's going to lightly disc that area. He's not going to turn the soil up completely, but he's going to lightly disc. Mm-hmm. Other thing he's going to use it for is fire breaks. Correct. When he's trying to build a fire break along his kind of eastern side, the western side of the field, so he's burning off the timber, that's what he's going to use the disc for. Mm-hmm. So that's another tools of the, another tool of the trade. A sprayer. He's a got sprayer. he's got a sprayer. Um, he might he might be upgrading. It's a little bit of a smaller sprayer, but um, a sprayer is going to he's going to utilize a, a lot with maintaining his food plots and then creating that old field management as he's spraying and, and terminating that herb. I mean the the fescue. Um, that's going to be very handy. And he's going to need a chainsaw. Did, we, mm-hmm. did you say that already? No, I haven't said chainsaw. chainsaw. He's going to be running that thing. safety equipment for that chainsaw. Yep. And then some herbicide to use um, to treat some of those stumps. And we didn't really cover that a bunch. We covered it in the, the podcast um, with Matt Ross um, and, and, and treating some of the stumps, leaving some for um, re-sprouts um, for forage and cover in those clear cuts. But some herbicide for that work. Of course, food plot seed um, and, and then- a broadcaster. Yeah, if he's going to use a broadcaster to plant his food plots, a no-till drill, yep. um, a drag or a roller, something, um, preferably with his uh, a no-till drill is, is he has a tractor, so he can he can preferred here do a the five footer from the county. Yeah. He can rent that. 
and knock his food plots out in one day, mm-hmm. one afternoon, he could yeah. plant them all. Um, so, really, not, not a whole lot. Not that much. And not that much oh, that he doesn't have. One other thing, plenty of tags. Yeah. <laughs> Once he implements a plan, he's going to make plenty of tags. <laughs> I agree. Oh, I'm just... I'm excited. I know you're excited. They they seemed excited too, and we're just glad to be able to help them and, and get them provide some insight to get them, I guess, in the right direction. They had a lot of great thoughts and a lot of um, insight they could share about the property, and that certainly helped to develop the plan and, and that, make it hopefully as beneficial. As another it be. key thing to make this all work: a passion to actually do it. Yes, that's a desire cool. to get out there and watch the land be transformed. Yep, and that's that's what's. That makes me the happiest is to know that it's going to – we can walk away from that and know that that plan is implemented. Oh, yeah. It's done, and we haven't even uh, completed the podcast yet. Yes. Where are we at on time? I know I th- I think one we, final thing we need out. to do before we wrap up is if you guys are enjoying these podcasts, we ask that if you're listening on iTunes, would you please give us a few likes on those on the stars – Preferably five stars. Hey, and <laughs> not and also a nice review. That'll today. help us and uh, help us continue doing this every week. Uh, we hope that it really, overall, we hope that it helps you with your property or with your hunting, um, and it encourages you, like just like this landowner who introduced his girlfriend at the time, wife now to the outdoors, and now she's just as passionate about it as he is. So hopefully, this is encouraging you to find ways to get your family involved. So they can also enjoy the outdoors. Yeah. And if, if this visual learning and, and walking through a property management and, and consult, basically, if that was if this is helpful, let us know on that, that post as well on Facebook because uh, we want to hear what works and what, uh, what we might need to elaborate on next time. Or if you know someone who needs a consult or you think may benefit from this, um, either share the podcast so they might be able to use what we've already prescribed to this gentleman or have us out. We'd love to do more more consults for more people and get more habitat um, in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. I yeah. think I think we're good here. Yeah, I do too. I think that pretty well wraps it up. Uh, thank you guys for joining us. And, oh, one other thing. Woo! We're not going to. While you were talking about that, that, yeah, we're, this is just like <laughs> this is late night. Just Rambles. we're sitting around the campfire <laughs> right now, just telling yeah. stories. Um, if they, you know, you talked about leaving a comment. If you have ideas, things you want us to talk oh, about, yeah, yeah. and you want to hear us explain or why to use this, why not to do that, shoot us a question or a message or just somehow reach out to There's us. There's a place through. on our website or just do it on Facebook. We're, we're going to get back with you, and we want to hear what it, what questions you have. We want to yeah. be able to address them and help and it could everyone just be best way. Uh, an entire podcast segment or just a simple question for us to huh. answer while we're doing a completely different podcast so don't ever hesitate to ask us a question any way you can reach us and we've got some i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say who's coming on or anything like that but we've got some great guests coming up in the future podcast um in the next couple of weeks um stay tuned you're you're gonna like it i can almost guarantee they haven't heard it on any other podcast any other podcast or really any other uh format i mean really anything it's really it's I'm not, I'm not unique, saying it's innovative. It's, it's, it's not innovative. It's very unique. Yeah, but it's also something that so many people are dealing with. Yeah, it just it's hasn't not been it's addressed not addressed too much. often. No, if at not all. Often but we're gonna do it. And we're gonna yeah. have a special guest on to do so, and I'm excited for it. Um, we actually spoke with him today, and I know he's excited too. So that's coming up in the next couple of weeks. Um, but I think we're good. Are you? Yeah. Are we done now? 
Whew, I don't think so. I really feel like we just have something else to talk about. But anyway, we thank you guys for joining us this week. Woo! I'm going to try it one more time. You okay. ready for this? We thank you guys for joining us this week. Hopefully, we'll catch you next week. See ya! My goodness, that was a struggle today. A struggle. Thanks for listening to another episode of Land and Legacy's Hunting and Habitat Management Podcast. If you want to see more, check us out at landlegacy.tv or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Take pride in knowing that God has called us in Genesis 2-4 to work and take care of the land. So keeping that in mind, remember to do it all for the love of the land and the glory to God.